It's nice to be back with you. I have been uh, visiting some other churches, but I also have been home with COVID. I've tested negative. You don't have to worry. I tested negative several days in a row. But if you notice me sitting down a little bit, it's because just as with many of you, COVID kind of takes it out of you. And so I'm a little bit um, exhausted sometimes. Pastor Dave is not with us this morning because he and a group are down with more ministries um, building houses for those who have needs. But he's been talking about Romans 12 and how to be a living sacrifice, setting ourselves aside for the Lord. What does it mean? How can we reach out to our enemies? What does it look like to be a gospel people? How do we live as one? And so we come now to chapter 13 in Romans. I'm not quite sure why Dave gave me this, but you can (laughs) um, decide for yourself. Um, I do have a background in the law, and so sitting, thinking about authorities are very interesting for me. But listen to God's word as it comes to us in chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who, will, those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This also is why you pay taxes, for authorities are God's servants. Who give, you their full t- who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we sit here and we think about authority this morning. The question about government is, well, what do we owe? And to whom is our tax due? We know that the Internal Revenue Service and the Franchise Tax Board both send us, or don't send us if we um, send in our stuff, but they're concerned about are we paying our taxes. And so this morning we're looking at submitting to the authorities. It's kind of a difficult one. We know that when Jesus was confronted with should we pay the temple tax or quite what? He asked for a coin, and he says, whose image is on this? And the people answered him, Caesar's. And so he said, well, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God. But what he's saying is not only is the coin one that has the image of the authority, but so each one of us has an image of the one who's on authority over us. We have the image of God placed on each and every one of us. And so there's a distinction between those who rule us in the secular world and those requirements of us that God puts on us. 
So we come to a thing, well, is government a good thing or a bad thing? It really depends on the context. If we need an army, it's a good thing to have a government because they organize the army and supply it. And, but if they tear up the road in your front yard, maybe it's not quite so good. And we talk about government efficiency is usually kind of an oxymoron, you know, because I'm not sure government is all that efficient. If we go back in the Old Testament to Judges uh, 21, there's a classic warning about anarchy. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own sight. Can you imagine everyone doing what is right in their own sight? I had the fortune or misfortune, if you like, um, oh, a number of years ago, of driving in Rome, the center of Rome. Now, mind you, I'm a native English speaker. I don't speak Italian. I can read a little bit, but not much. And I found myself absolutely terrified because you came to an intersection and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. They went this way, they went that way, they went this way. It's like, okay, what am I supposed to do? I need to get from here to over there, but how do I get there? It was total anarchy. It was hard to realize, I don't know what I'm doing. But more than that, I don't know what everybody else is doing. One of the nice things that we have here in the United States is that we all drive on the right side of the road. And I know that if I'm driving on the left side of the road, I'm probably doing something wrong. I might be turning, and that's okay, but most of the time I need to drive on the correct side of the road because everybody else is expecting me to. That's one of the things that is nice about authority, as they tell us. Those little kinds of things, they help us with efficiency in terms of how do we get from here to there. They help us to avoid disorder. They provide us with safety and security. And they also provide us opportunity. Now, what is that opportunity? Well, when you have more than just a couple of people, you need organization. It sometimes requires specialization or um, compartmentalization and, and, you know, departments. And I don't know how to do everything. You don't know how to do everything. And so it's nice that we can complement each other, that though even those in authority, they don't usually rule alone. They're usually, especially here in the States, we have a number of people. You know, if you want to build something, there's the building and safety folks. If you're concerned about crime in your neighborhood, there's our police and our sheriffs. If you're concerned about, well, do we need to repair that road or not? There are people on our city councils and our um, county supervisors and even up in Sacramento. All those in authority are trying to organize us. And so Paul here is exhorting us that we're supposed to obey authority. He says everyone must submit to the governing authorities. And then he goes on to say, not because they're just authorities, but because God has established them. Because God knows that, you know, even though we might like to do something, we sometimes have sinful tendencies. Now, that doesn't mean that government is always right. Certainly in the New Testament, the Christians had more than enough cause to lament about the Roman government. But you have to stop and remember, remember that the conditions of Rome helped establish 
the opportunity for Christian missionaries to go around. The Romans were the ones who built roads everywhere, who provided regularity, who provided um, security. You could go throughout the empire from Egypt up through Palestine and into um, what is today Turkey, uh, Asia Minor, into uh, the Greek Isles, into Rome, even all the way over to Spain and the Mediterranean and, and even the Atlantic. The Pax Romana was something that was hard to understand because it was the first time in our known world that things were secure. But as it says, in the fullness of time, our Savior came. And because he came, those who followed him initially were able to talk about him, to write about him, to send letters about him, and ultimately to teach us about him. And so even though we might like to have some conditionality that we'll obey authority some of the time, or almost all the time, or most of the time, God doesn't say that. God says that we are to obey the authorities, that he is there, establish them. He knows that those of us who live in a society might be tending towards doing our own thing, just like the folks in Rome would do their own things. Now, it's, it's improved. I have been back, and it has improved tremendously. But imagine that chaos. Imagine that you go out here on, you know, uh, Lakeview Canyon and everybody's going every which way. You're only trying to turn right or left to go back to your house after church, but you're not quite sure because this one's going to stay. It's like, okay, where are they going? God knows that we need structure, that we need to be able to be assured of certain kinds of things. And so he gives us government. He brings it into specific creation. Now, that doesn't mean that we should have a blind kind of nationalism. It doesn't mean that we should be absolutely obedient to everyone. But it is a recognition that human government has legitimate authority. And God sometimes picks people who maybe are not the most competent. He often picks the lowliest of them and puts them in power. If you stop and think about it, you know, David was the least in his family. He was the youngest. So he was given that not very nice job of going out and watching the flocks. Now, that wasn't very good to do. Sheep, if you've ever been around them, are rather smelly kinds of people kinds of creatures and having to corral them having to watch them having to be aware of things not only of what's going on with the flock but what's going on around are there you know threats to the flock are there wild animals are there ravines are there brambles you needed to keep the flock together and so that was the task that David was given and yet David is the one whom Samuel plucks out of obscurity because God has told him to. And because David has a heart for God, he in fact becomes King David and a forerunner of our Lord Jesus Christ. So even though God doesn't always use the most stellar people that we might want, he does in fact establish the authorities. 
But then Paul goes on and says, now, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Because you see, the civil government has authority to punish. Now, for most of us, that punishment is is not all that much. We might sometimes go a little too fast, and that means that an officer might pull us over and give us a ticket, and we have to pay for the ticket and maybe go to traffic school, maybe go to court, you know. That's a very small kind of thing, but for people who might transgress more, there's more punishment. Because government is a, sinful, is a check on men's sinful desires and tendencies. But the government's right is always hun- held under God. Nations have to recognize that they have limited power. They're agents of God, but they're not God themselves. Governments, we know, have authority over what we do. What we do with our property, what we do with our money, what we, how we behave with one another. Governments are there to make things run more smoothly. But governments don't have the right to touch what God has put his image on. They don't have the right to enslave people because humans belong to God. They don't have the right to oppress people because humans bear the image of God. And whatever it is that bears the image of God has to be given to God. And so we as Christians are right to resist resist oppression and religious persecution. We might do it by nonviolent means, the way Martin Luther King did when he led against the oppression of his people, of our people, of our brothers and sisters. But we do not have the right to resist legitimate functions of government. I don't know how many of you remember the confessing church in the 20th century. They had an enormous struggle. The confessing church was one that was in Germany. And they wondered, what does a Christian do with an Adolf Hitler? Well, the fact is the Christian church in Germany basically watched. They accommodated themselves to the unfaithfulness because they believed that authority shouldn't be challenged. But then there were those who refused them. They came to be called the Confessing Church. They're part of our book of confessions, the Barman Declaration. Because if you've ever read the Barman Declaration, it talks about authority. Authority of the government, but authority of God also. And that the two should not be confused. In Paul, we talk about obeying authority, but we also don't obey them blindly. In the midst of the absolutely horror of the Second World War, the confessing church, they rose up and they said, the gospel is at stake and idolatry is at stake. And Hitler has made of himself a god, an idol of terror, a god who is the incarnation of evil. And it's now evil for us as Christians not to resist him. And so they did. A number of them were involved in a plot to try to assassinate him. It didn't work. It did kill a couple of people, but it did not kill Hitler. And so what happened? Those confessing Christians, I would say probably most of them, died at Hitler's orders. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer is perhaps the best known, and he died in a prison camp shortly before it was liberated. But for us today, how do we do it? If we're driving down the freeway and we want to be free from looking over our shoulder or looking in the rearview mirror, there's an answer. Slow down. Don't break the speed limit. Because Paul goes on and says that these people are the servants of God. Now, it's hard sometimes to think of government officials, at least some of them, as being servants of God. But Paul here calls them servants of God because they are there, again, to do just punishment when there's evil that has been performed. It's God's plan of holding in human sinfulness. And he says that they don't bear the sword in vain. It's like, oh dear. Now, back in Roman times, it was the sword that was used to control people. The whole idea of using bullhorns or even using you know, some kind of large speaking trumpet did not occur to the Romans. No, if there was a riot, they sent soldiers in with swords to simply chop people down because that was the way that the government controlled a riot. And so they do have the power of the sword. Now, these days, we don't really use the sword for for things, but we use it metaphorically. We use it to, again, corral evil, to corral even our sinful tendencies, to get us back on the right path, because authority is God's servant. They're an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. An agent of wrath. I don't know about you, but... I really don't want to encounter somebody who is wrathful. That sounds like an awful word, doesn't it? Wrathful. But that's sometimes what it takes to quell evil. And so Paul goes on in in verse 5 to say that it's necessary to submit to the authorities because governments are there to protect us from evil. They're there to preserve our security They're there to protect us from attack from without and crime from within. The authority that they have comes from God. And here it says, it's necessary to submit to them, not only because of the punishment, but also because of conscience. I thought that was interesting. Conscience. That we're supposed to bathe them. We're supposed to let our conscience be our guide so that, no, we don't commit evil, but we restrain from it. No, we don't go through even correcting those around us because individuals are not called to exercise our own, um, our own wrath on other people. Rather, we're to let the authorities do that. And here in the United States, I must say that we try very hard to uphold what it is that God wants us to do. Because we don't go out and just punish people. Instead, we have what we call a justice system. And that justice system is built around all sorts of protections. Now, most of us don't need those protections. Most of us don't have soldiers quartered in our houses the way the Constitution would prevent. Most of us don't have to worry about um, 
not having freedom of religion, not having freedom of speech. But there are some who are constrained. For instance, our Supreme Court has said, you can have freedom of speech, except you cannot cry fire in a crowded theater. Do you know why? Because, just think, if you've got a whole bunch of people, they're all sitting in in dark or semi-dark, and you cry fire, what's going to happen? Everybody's going to try to run out. And chances are there are going to be some that are hurt. And so even though we have freedom of speech from our Constitution, our courts have said, well, sort of, most of the time. There are a few times when maybe it is not appropriate. And there are other kinds of rights that we have. We have the right against self-incrimination. So that even though if we know that person or that person or that person did something wrong, that's not enough. Our justice system requires witnesses and evidence. And so we have people who do investigations. We have our police departments and our sheriff's departments. We have our district attorneys and are people who look to see, is this a fair trial? Not only the judges, but also the attorneys, whether it's for the defense or the prosecution, they are interested in justice. They are interested in preserving the rights of people so that you may think they did evil, but we need to be sure. And so our standard of judgment is beyond a reasonable doubt. The authorities can only punish when somebody is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. That's kind of a high standard. But Paul calls on us to submit to those standards and even to look to our own selves as whether or not we deserve punishment. But rather, what is our conscience saying? Now, there is a limit to it. We're not to submit in absolutely everything. A woman named Corrie Ten Boom wrote a, a novel. It's not really a novel. It's more of a nonfiction because it tells the story of how her family protected a family of Jews during the Second World War in the Netherlands. She goes on to talk about how they tried all sorts of different ways to protect them, and they did protect them for a number of years, but finally the Nazis discovered the hiding place. And they took not only the Jews, they also took Corrie Ten Boom's family, many of whom died in the concentration camps, but they knew that as with the confessing church did, that there are some evils that need to be resisted, even at the cost of their own lives. And so God sends us good men sometimes, good women sometimes. By his grace, they lead us, they heal us. But he also sends us not-so-good folks. Maybe we deserve them. Maybe we're called on to rise up against them the way the people in the confessing church did. It's a hard position to try to figure out, and one that, as Reformed Christians, we shouldn't do alone. That's the nice thing about being a Reformed Christian, is that we don't act alone. We act in community. We act in groups. Because my right and your right 
hopefully are the same things, but if they're not, let's talk about it. Let's discuss it. You may not like committee meetings, but they're very, very valuable because they help us to know what is evil, what is good, how should we go forward. And so committees are great, but government doesn't often operate by committees. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't. And so Paul tells us that regardless, we are to pay taxes for the authority are God's servants. You know, it's interesting here that the Greek actually says that they are God's priests. That's interesting. Did you ever think of our city council as God's priests? Our county supervisors, our legislatures, our governor up in Sacramento as God's priests? But Paul says that we're to pay taxes because they're God's priests who give their full time to governing. You and I may go out and earn different kinds of salaries, whether that's a salary in business or in teaching, whether it's a salary that we're simply making because we're babysitting somebody or whatever it is, we earn a salary. And so also those who serve in our government deserve their salaries, deserve their ability to carry on with their private lives as even as they serve us. As priests, because they also are our leaders, even as our church folks are leaders. And so there are taxes that are collected. They get the job done of restraining evil, and they keep an orderly society. But sometimes we're not all that happy. We're not all that happy that we might have to pay for things. And yet, I don't know about you, but I'm always happy when the mail person comes and gives me my mail. I'm always happy even though it might be a little inconvenient to have my street repaved. I'm happy that I can go on the freeway and 99.9% of the time know that everybody's going the same way as I am. And the police are looking for those who don't and who stop them. But we're not supposed to object to the principle of taxation. We might object to certain kinds of taxes. We might not like them in particular. But they're there for the good of all of us. And there have been some people, starting way back in the New Testament, that felt like, okay, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm not a citizen here, and so I'm not going to pay taxes. The problem is, what if everybody did that? What if everybody did not pay taxes, what would happen? Well, our government wouldn't have any money. They wouldn't be able to pay the workers that they hire. Our justice system wouldn't work because we wouldn't be able to pay the people that work in the justice systems. It'd be an awful thing, wouldn't it, if we didn't pay taxes, and yet the Jews, there were some Jews who thought, "Eh, maybe because I'm, you know, a citizen of God and I am oppressed by the Romans I shouldn't have to do this but that's not what Paul's saying he's saying pay your taxes because the authorities are God's servants oh that's a hard one you know there's a balance between paying our taxes to the authorities to Caesar and paying as Julia and the Red our taxes to the temple Those taxes are also used to support things, not to support 
our government, but rather to support our church. Just as they were back in the Old Testament, they were used to support the temple because the priests were there serving full time. And so contributing to their sustenance was something that was right and good. And so we're called on to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but to render to God the things that are God's. So we don't have a right to withhold taxes, even if the government doesn't use them quite the way we think they should. Governments are made up of fallible people, just like us. And so we can't demand that the government handle everything absolutely perfectly every single time. But we're still called to pay taxes. But we're also called to help the governing authorities. We here in the United States have the privilege of voting. Now, I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but I will tell you, vote. Because everyone has that right. Everyone over 18 has the right to vote. And we as Christians are called on to vote. Now, I don't care if you vote Democrat, Republican, Independent, Peace and Freedom. I don't care what you do. But I do care that you vote. Because you are helping the authorities to know how the people want things to be run. You are helping the authorities to know that this is something good or maybe not so good. So sometimes, for instance, coming up, we have a number of propositions. Now, I haven't read them yet. Some of them might be great and some of them might not be quite so great. But it's up to each of us to decide, is this a good thing for our authorities to do or not do? And the only way they're going to know whether or not you think it's a good thing or a bad thing is to vote. To either vote yes or no on the propositions, to vote for this person or that person. But I'm not trying to hold up our society or defend the fact that there might be gross injustices here in America. Still, we can meet this morning, and we don't have to hide behind closed doors the way Corey Ten Boom and her family did. We have relative freedom from attack. We don't have to worry about walking down the street and perhaps being attacked because our government is there to protect us. And so Paul ends with, give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If it's revenue, pay revenue. If it's respect, then respect. If it's honor, then give honor. So whatever it is that we are called on to do with other people, we are called on to obey authority most of the time. And when we choose not to, we're also called on to know that the authority has the right to punish, even if the authority is wrong. That's what Paul is trying to say here, is that the authorities should be obeyed, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of our conscience. Our conscience that helps tell us how we should live as Christians. And as Christians, we should live under authority. Under authority of government, but most of all, under the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks for those who are in authority over us. We pray for their wisdom. We pray for their insight. We pray that you will give them courage in doing the hard things that you will give them hesitancy when they're not sure. We pray, God, that for ourselves you will help us to obey those in authority, but most of all to obey you, 
to know that you are the Lord of our conscience and that therefore we are free in you, free to obey those around us and yet free to follow you. And we ask you now that you would help us to live as you would hope, as you would hope that we would live. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.